St. Joseph Radio presents live program broadcasting to you from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. The program that for over 30 years has brought you eloquent speakers from across the globe to help explain, clarify, and evangelize the Catholic faith. Our program covers a variety of topics relating to current issues and occurrences in our daily lives. Now, with the aid of technology, we are able to bring the gospel message to the four corners of the world where Christ himself did say, those who have ears ought to hear. It is our hope at St. Joseph Radio that through these programs, we can help evangelize the world and change one soul at a time. Now, here is your host to introduce today's guest and topic. And if you have ears, you ought to hear this program today. Welcome to St. Joseph Radio Presents. Coming to you from the Rome of the West, where we have a beautiful Saturday afternoon. In studio today is Ray Gerard. My name is Matt Logeman, and it's Evangelization Moments. Ray, thank you for spending some time and, and shedding the light on things that we all need to know. Is that what I'm going to do, shed light? Well, you I hope the, so. What's that flashlight for? Come on. <laughs> Can you start us off with a prayer? I think I'll pray for, <laughs> pray for some light to do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Uh, dear Lord in heaven, uh, please look down on us and um, help us with your grace uh, in all the things that we try to do to, to follow your path and follow your way. Help us try to understand uh, the things we're going to be talking about today. Help us to understand with compassion and kindness um, others in this, in this world who are going to be are involved with some of the things that we're talking about today. Help us to understand others. Help us to reach out with kindness. Always reach out with kindness to others and, uh, and guide us. Help us um, as we listen uh, to the program today to, uh, to get whatever that you want us to hear uh, out of what might be discussed today. We ask, you know, we hope to do all these things to give glory to you. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Awesome job. And so this topic, which is very uh, one that should be tiptoed around, needs to be, I think, met head on because it's going to be either the salvation or the, you know, the, the wrong end of it for everyone out there. It's always good to talk about things, uh, you know, in silence and in darkness, things, well, things that are not good happen. It's always good to bring things out into the open. Well, you did a little history check on this uh, term. The term, so, yeah, so what we're talking about today, which um, I know is, is, is something that, that um, you know, you, Matt, thought it would be good to discuss, is this idea of, well, what's been called the five non-negotiables. So, uh, as I understand it, about 10 years ago, that term started to circulate 10, 15 years ago. I think at first in this country, it uh, came to light um, through uh, Catholic Answers. And it refers to five, the five non-negotiables, and it refers to this idea that, you know, when we're exercising our per, uh, political 
prerogative to vote, that there are certain things that we have to um, always bear in mind, that we have to admit the truth of, that we can never deny. Uh, and these are uh, the church's teachings on abortion, uh, euthanasia, uh, stem cell research, uh, human cloning, um, and um, same-sex marriage. And those were understood to be the five non-negotiables. As a matter of fact, um, the history of this sort of movement, if you will, to declare certain things as not open for negotiation and things that every good Catholic has to honor uh, actually started you know, before then, um, actually started in Italy in the 1980s. Um, there's a discussion of uh, not necessarily five items, but certain non-negotiable values. Um, there was a national convention in uh, Loreto in 1985 where this term first uh, came up. Um, and then after that, uh, Cardinal uh, Camillo Varini, who was, uh, I think, in the 90s president of the Italian Bishops' Conference, uh, gave a lot of their time to or spent a lot of time talking about non-negotiable values and uh, became very widely accepted, became very popular uh, in, in Italy at that time. And so it's, it, you know, and, and it's a reaction to, um, I think, the, the feeling that people have that um, there, there's this sort of this confusion and, and a willingness for people to, you know, under uh, the mantle of being Catholic, nevertheless, to say certain things or believe certain things or allow certain things, they really contravene some of these core principles that are involved in the Church's teachings on these topics. So I think the question for us today is, how do we approach these issues? And how do we express Catholic teaching on them? If we're going to evangelize our faith, do we say these things are not negotiable, or do we do it in another another manner? And that's, I think, something if we're uh, not going to avoid these issues, but as Catholics, nevertheless, talk about them, but talk about them in a way that's fruitful and constructive, then that would be, I think, something that is, is useful to, to discuss and perhaps, well, as you say, shed some light on well, when I was looking up some definitions for the program today, the word non-negotiable means not open for discussion or modification. And the other one I looked up was grave sin, mortal sin, and what has to constitute for that, which is grave matter, uh, the knowledge of this matter, and willfully committing such, you know, choice. You know, because I think... There are a lot of Catholics out there who are maybe just ignorant to the church's teachings. And I mean, not saying they are ignorant. I'm just saying they do not know any better. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people who are not in the church get confused when there are different voices uh, from the church, and they get confused as to what Catholics believe and that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, you know, floating around uh, where people don't really quite— understand so well. And it makes it difficult to, makes it difficult for people who are Catholic if you're trying to evangelize on these issues or evangelize the faith in general to explain, you know, the Catholic uh, view on these issues. I mean, people can say, well, you know, if you really believe, you know, these teachings, you're, you know, you're, 
you're very harsh, you're unfeeling, uh, you you know you're you're a discriminating kind of person, and so you know there's there's a tendency to look down on Catholics because you know we're seen as being too rigid, too harsh, and so on, and so yeah, there, there's it, it it creates a, a certain level uh, of difficulty. Why do you think that is, that they are so, I don't want to use the word judgmental, but like you said, they are harsh towards our beliefs? Well, they think our beliefs are harsh, and I think it comes from, I guess, in a, in really a misunderstanding of freedom and what it means to be free. And a lot of people think, well, to be free simply means to let everybody do everything. And of course, that's never been um, the Catholic way of looking at things. Uh, St. Paul said, uh, I think it was in Galatians, where he said, you know, you were created for freedom, you know, but don't use this freedom, uh, you know, for, you know, uh, activities of the flesh, um, you know, to satisfy, you know, certain desires uh, that you may have. Um, we can use freedom in a lot of different ways, but then there's, there's a transcendent kind of a fee, uh, freedom, and there's an imprisoning freedom, right? I mean, you can... Use your freedom to uh, align yourself with the will of God, and then you become truly free, and you become transcendent, right? I mean, you can share an eternal life, uh, for example, um, and uh, you know you can bond with other people in the body of Christ. You can extend love to all kinds of people, and that love is then going to in turn beget like in a chain reaction, like ripples on a pond, more acts of love, and you can become transcendent that way and, and live in a way beyond just yourself. Or we can imprison ourselves if we exercise our freedom to satisfy certain desires, and we become, and then, you, as St. Paul says, you become enslaved uh, by those desires and by, enslaved and by sinful— Enslaved to sin. Enslaved. I was— <laughs> yeah, you, you jumped the gun at me a little bit. Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah, you enslave yourself to sinful, sinful desires and sinful behaviors, and that's exactly what can happen. So, you know, there's, there is freedom, but there's different kinds of freedom. And I think, you know, a lot of the misconception about the church centers around this idea that, you know, uh, to be free means you have to allow people to do everything all the time. And... You know, uh, and that's never true, um, you know, simply because, you know, there is a God, there is a truth, his name is Christ, um, and there's a way they want us to be. You know, Bishop Sheen talks about the uh, the new covenant, the, the, the Christian uh, mode of life is being radical, it's being different. And one of the ways he says that's true is like, well— Christ, when he came, changed things because he gave a commandment to love, a commandment to love. Yeah, love is a good thing, and being kind to other people is a good thing. And that was true even, that was true before Christ. There's nothing terribly original about that. Uh, you go to the commandments and their uh, instructions to basically be kind towards other people, right? Um, but Christ not only said it was good, but he gave us a commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And it became something that we had to do. And, uh, and there's tremendous truth in that. If we're going to imitate Christ, that's what we need to do. We need to do that, to be like him. Um, 
You know, I mean, he came. I mean, God came to the earth. I mean, that is just a, I mean, you know, I mean, that's a history-shattering event. Humbled himself. A history-shattering event, and he comes. And one of the reasons was to give us an example. And after he condescended to do that, yeah, we need to follow that example. So, Well, it seems to me like the standard M.O. of the enemy has always been to take a little bit of that truth and then to misconstrue it, to twist it, to warp it. And I think that he has done it so well that these five non-negotiables then become, well, I'm negotiating it because I have freedom. Yeah, you know, and, and so it's kind of hard to respond to that, right? Lovingly, very hard. It's very hard to respond to that. It's people say, well, you know, we, we ought to have the right to choose this or choose that. And then you're in the position of having to say, well, no, you don't. <laughs> and then, of course, people will say, well, you know, you're, you're close-minded. And now all of a sudden you might feel like you're on the defensive. So how do you deal with that? Let me ask no. this. Um, this we have the Ten Commandments. We know that we need to obey those. Those came from the Old Testament. Moses, God gave them to him, and we know them today. So you were talking to history on these non-negotiables, only going back, say, you know, fifty years. Well, the terminology, the was, terminology, yeah, for non. Yeah. So where does the church, you know, I guess, come off saying this is non-negotiable? We cannot. Well, I don't, I don't think the church really does that. I mean, the USCCB uh, put out, um, you know, a two-part. Um, uh, article entitled uh, Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship. And they don't use the term non-negotiable. Um, you know, they talk about these uh, issues, these five issues, among others. And they say that, you know, there are truths in, involved in these. And there are things that are intrinsically evil. Abortion is one of the things it mentions as intrinsically evil. And why is that? I mean, there's a truth there. And, and what is that truth? And why is that? Well, if you believe in God, and if you believe that life begins with God, I mean, if you believe in God, you have to believe that, you know, that, 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 that our life, our creation comes from God. And if you believe that, then you have to respect that. And if you then assume the power to take life whenever you do it, whether it's with abortion or with euthanasia, you're not respecting that gift. And so it's intrinsically, it is intrinsically wrong. So there's a, there's a truth in that. And, you know, this, this idea of, 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 of using the term non-negotiable um, is something that the bishops don't use. And I, I, I can understand completely why they don't. Um, Pope Francis uh, isn't, I think, uh, a, a proponent of, of that terminology either. He said... Quote, I have never understood the expression non-negotiable values. He said, uh, values are values, and that is it. And that's true. I mean, there are a lot of Catholic values uh, besides just the ones involved in, in those five issues. And if you're going to live a full life, if you're going to live a Christian life, if you're going to live a life of faith, um, you're going to want to adopt and follow all those values, all those, all the different virtues that make somebody an imitator of Christ. You can't, you know, so, you know, there's, there's a whole spectrum and a whole range of, of values, and it's like all of them all at once um, make up the truth. It's not just, you know, some. And 
you know, the other thing that might be behind what he's saying is, is this concept. You know, the term non-negotiable values is in a way a non-starter. I mean, if you're going to, uh, and I think, isn't that the title for our, our program, if we're going to give it one, negotiating the non-negotiables, how do you, as a, as a Catholic trying to evangelize the faith, negotiate or, or get across, you know, this, this, this minefield of dealing with these, these hot-button issues? How do you negotiate that minefield? And I think you don't use the term non-negotiables. Um, I think you can express the truth. You can not be bashful or, or diffident about the truths, but that uh, you don't use the term non-negotiables. Because there's something antagonistic. There's an element of antagonism in that term. It's like it's almost as if you're saying at the, at the forefront, I'm not going to talk about these with you. Um, this is not open for discussion. Now, you gave that definition earlier, and there's two parts of it, right? Not open for discussion and, uh, you know, something that, that, you know, doesn't admit that there's more than one answer. Well, I think the first part of that discussion, the uh, first part of that definition um, is, is a reason, uh, it's something that, that doesn't apply. I mean, it is open for discussion, but I think the second part doesn't. Um, there are not two, there is only one. And I think that's the way we have to approach it. We don't say non-negotiable. We don't say, I'm not going to discuss this with you. You're not going to lay down a gauntlet, you know, right, you know, in somebody's face. Um, there is, there's, there's an element of, um, you know, there's, there's a lack of caring in that, a lack of willingness to listen to the other person. So, I mean, listening, always good. But admitting that there might be more than one answer well, no, not negotiable. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I think we, I think we, we stand up for the truths. This is Saint without, Joseph Radio yeah. presents, and we are coming to you live from the realm of the West, Saint Louis, Missouri, in studio with Ray Gerard. My name is Matt Logaman, and we are going through the negotiating the non-negotiables. And one of the things that I, I, I think that why this is an evangelization moment, you know, even for quote, the choir out there, because if one falls guilty to going against one of these things that the church teaches, I'll read this quote, says, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. A person should examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why so many among you are ill and infirm, and a considerable number are dying. That's from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Yeah, yeah. That's, why, that's why we're doing this, to help, to save one soul at a time. Yeah. I mean, I think if we're going to—there is, there is a tremendous truth in that. I mean, if, if we're going to be partakers of the Eucharist, if we're going to be members of the body of Christ, we have to live as members of— that body as people connected to Christ. And if you think of, try to think of how holy, how pure, how, how much of, an, of a complete embodiment of, of, of love, of unbounded love that Christ is, uh, boy, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a, a tall order to try to, to, try to, to live in, in, in unity with that. But, that's what we're, but you're absolutely right. That's what we're called to do. And if that's what we're called to do, 
then you can understand, you know, these truths. Um, you know, I think a lot of this, you know, just, just goes back and stems to this idea of having faith. It all starts with faith. I mean, these issues, abortion, euthanasia, the sanctity of human life, it goes back to really, you know, whether you believe in God. I mean, you, isn't it hard to try to say, well, I, I believe in God, but nevertheless, um, you know, abortion, euthanasia, we can, you know, we can decide when, you know, certain lives are going to be taken. How do you do that? In stem cell, we can stop all these diseases and stuff. Everybody has a good reason, but here we have— Stem cell research is, is fine. Error. The church says stem cell research is fine. It's embryonic right. stem cell research that is the problem, and, and, um, and that, that's the same issue. It's the sanctity of life, and it comes down to really having a belief in, in, in God. Um, you know, I mean— is God, you know, first in your life? Is he is he a priority in your life? Uh, do you really believe that he's here and now? Yes, uh, yes, and yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know, really. So um, it's not like Matthew Kelly. Yes, and yes. Yeah, he's good at saying that. You know, but there's a, you know, I think if we're going to try to deal with this and try to, um, you know, explain to people our beliefs on this subject, instead of having to feel like we're on the defensive. I think you can feel like, well, I mean, as opposed to defensive, you might say offensive. But instead of offensive, instead of offensive, maybe another word for it is, you know, uh, being on the positive. There is so much joy and so much beauty and so much peace uh, to be found in following um, these truths. In 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 following this idea that there that there is a God that our life. I mean, just imagine the peace that comes from the idea that. You know, we have life that comes from God. I mean, what's the alternative? We don't. That our life is our life is what just comes out of chaos. What a peace that can you can feel in your heart and in your soul if life comes from God. There is, there is tremendous beauty and joy that can be found in the in these these simple truths that the church does stand up for. So, in order to help evangelize someone, I, I would think the first one that would be the easiest, which is obviously the hardest one is abortion because if you take what you just said about god being you know everything the alpha the omega and the the prince artist you know who who was working on this canvas and he's designing this this new life in some woman's embryo you know in her uterus and then someone comes along and just rips the canvas off and throws it away. You know, it'd be like walking up to Picasso with, the, you know, this million-dollar, you know, masterpiece going on. And they just like, no, 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 rip it off and throw it away. I mean, when you do that, when, when somebody does that, when somebody makes a decision, a human decision, okay, we're going to have an abortion. Okay, uh, we're going to uh, participate in, in some act of euthanasia. Isn't there some kind of a disturbance, some level of, of disquiet, you know, dis- disquiet that somewhere deep inside, you know, kind of nags at you? Um, there has to be. Yeah, I, has I'm to. convinced it's the enemy. And uh, you know, for example, uh, but it, but if you if you live out your faith, that disquiet can dissipate, can disappear, even if. You've participated in any of these acts already. 
um, a conversion to to faith can bring levels of peace um, that you can't imagine. Life changing. Now, one of the guys who helped a lot of people make a conversion of faith was was Bishop Sheen, and he wrote a book called Peace of Soul. And in that book, he says he says this about about converting and and turning your heart toward God. And he says, once the soul has turned to God, there is no longer a struggle to give up uh, certain habits. There are not so much they are not so much defeated as crowded out by new interests. There is no longer a need of escape, for one is no longer in flight from oneself. The person who once did his own will now seeks to do God's will. The one who once served sin now hates it. The person who once found thoughts of God dry or, uh, or even unpleasant now hopes above all else one day to behold the God whom he loves. And that's, I think that's a pretty good you know, description of what can happen. There's no longer a need uh, to escape from oneself. You know, um, and you can find all this joy uh, that you now, you don't, there's no, there's no real fight over sin because the, the, those, those concerns, those thoughts, those worries are now replaced by these new desires. Your mind turns from one avenue of thought to another one, and all of a sudden, there's this desire to to be loved and to you know, express love. I think there is joy and beauty to be found in evangelizing the peace and the beauty and the joy um, in in believing in Christ and, and acting that way. And so to evangelize, you know, we don't have to throw out negative, non-starting type terms, but we can express the positive aspects of, you know, what, I mean, there's, there's, this, there's this beauty um, that we're lucky enough to, um, as, as, you know, as, as Catholics, uh, be close to all the time. Yeah, the, I believe Christ did say, humanly, it is impossible what you're explaining, but with God, all things are possible. Yeah, and, and you know, but you just described the 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 best case scenario, you know. But you know, pride enters in, and man thinks he knows. And I think a lot of these these grave matter sins are done through pride. You know, the the, the unwanted pregnancy is then an inconvenience. You know, because it's you know you know all that, and it's so those are the ones that I struggle to reach out to lovingly to say the right things, the right words, to plant that seed, to water that seed, to bring them back to full communion. Yeah, pride. Um, you know this this unwillingness to sort of let go that we have to decide these things for ourselves, and that if. Uh, if we don't, then you know somehow we're, uh, you know, there's some need to be fearful of God, and that's that's just not the way it has to that's be. That's not what he wanted, right? He wanted us all to be happy, to live full, you know, and to have all of His love and grace poured upon us. And there, we need to make sure that we stay in that state of grace. Use the sacraments that Christ set up in His church, and all will be merry. 
And I wish you an early Merry Christmas there. So we'll be back in just a bit. I'd like to remind you, if you'd like a free copy of this program, call our phone number after the program and just pay the postage and we'll send it out to you. It's 636-447-6000. Our Catholic faith, Colby Academy has the solution, offering a curriculum that is loyal to the magisterium, classical, Ignatian, flexible, and affordable. Colby can help with all your homeschooling needs. We offer a wide range of services, including live online courses for those looking for assistance teaching their students. Recorded self-paced courses for those who want teacher instruction while needing the flexibility to move at their own pace. And traditional homeschool courses for maximum flexibility and home education. Our support services include advising for parents, record keeping and transcript services, a grading service, standardized testing, and guidance and college counseling. For more information, check out their website at colby.org. That's K-O-L-B-E dot org. Or give them a Call area code 707-255-6499. That's 707-255-6499. It's Colby Academy. St. Joseph Catholic Radio is proud to announce the launch of SJEN-TV, the St. Joseph Evangelization Network. SJEN-TV is a premier online Catholic broadcasting network providing quality Catholic programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. We have programming such as live studio interviews, St. Joe's Java speaker presentations, current Catholic issues, and the Pro-Life series. We're featuring the many talented speakers out of Orange County, California, and this Archdiocese of St. Louis, Missouri including Professor John Gresham, Father James Mason, Karen Nokemper, Rick Hollerick, Bill Federer, and many more. To review the program list, go to sjen.tv or on Roku, sjen.tv. All this programming is free, and we are welcoming sponsorship of new programs. Find out more at sjen.tv. We are back live with you from the Rome of the West. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from St. Louis, Missouri, we have Ray Gerard in studio. My name is Matt Logman, and the phone number to call for a free copy of this program is 636-447-6000. Call after the program, and then you can help save one soul at a time as we attempt to do here during this program, Evangelization Moments. Well, Mr. Gerard, where do we start now? <laughs> where do we start now? Um, I guess, you know... Uh, you so could, much to do, so little time. So much to do. I guess you could go back to, you know, what the USCCB, you know, uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops writes on, uh, on this topic. It talks about the love of God and that it talks about these issues in the context of good and evil. It's a very basic thing, good and evil. You know, there's a tendency to try to avoid the discussion of evil, and or to avoid the discussion of sin. And the problem is, there is evil. There is sin. And if instead of, and if we deny it, I think that's where you get back to that point where there's a certain level of disquiet uh, somewhere deep inside. But if you admit that there's evil and sin and talk about it and, and freely ad- admit it, what are you also opening the door to? Well, you open the door to talking about good. And if you, and if you do good and encourage others to do good, um, now you're, you're opposing evil. I mean, there is, there's, a, there's a blessing, there's an opportunity, there is a, 
There's a joy of heart that comes in doing that. There is the positive to be, to be felt from doing good. And it, it, feels, it feels so good in your heart simply because there is this choice instead to do the evil. We can, you know, we can talk about that. But, you know, and that's how, the, that's how the Conference of Catholic Bishops talk about it. It talks about good and evil. It talks about doing good and avoiding evil. It says that there are certain things that are always incompatible with the love of God. A neighbor, they talk about these issues as incompatible with the love of God. They stress love. They stress the positive. And if we admit that we can decide issues about life, whether it's embryonic stem cell research or euthanasia or abortion, if we can decide that, we are pushing away love. We're pushing it, we're separating ourselves from God, and you're pushing away love. And even if you want to intellectually not admit that, you're going to feel it. And so, you know, I think we can talk about, you know, the fact that, um, you know, that there is this, this love to be felt. There is this great giving God, and he's there, he's there for all of us. You know, the, uh, the bishops talk about certain things that are intrinsically evil. There is this dichotomy, there is this divide between good and evil, and there are certain things that are intrinsically evil. And how can you know? I mean, if you're going to try to defend this or talk about this or, or deal with this, you know, how can you say that certain things are intrinsically evil? But you can. Um, you know, for example, um, you know, anything that, that denies the power of God to decide questions of life and death. I mean, uh, you know, all of the, you know, four out of those five issues uh, that we've mentioned involve that, deciding questions of life and death. And, you know, we take that upon ourselves as opposed to leaving it in his hands. You know, I mean, I think if we take it upon ourselves, we are doing nothing other than, nothing less than denying God. And the enemy's work. You cannot assume that power unless you're willing to deny God. How closely do you think that the Tower of Babel is related to what we're talking about today? Because <laughs> it wasn't until <laughs> like recent. Same, I guess it's the same sort of concept. It's, we're uh, trying to be God. You're, you're denying, yeah, you're, you're denying God. If you, I mean, what does it mean to believe in God? I mean, if you really believe, and you believe he is the author of life, you know, then you can't just admit that on one hand and not act in accordance with it on the other. That's bound to create this disturbance in your soul. It has to. It has to. Not only that, I would think putting it in dire jeopardy. Yeah, there is this, there is this, this whole concept of sin. And, of course, in the modern age— And heaven and hell. A lot of times people don't want to talk about it. Um, but it's a, it's a reality. Um, there's a woman, did you know about this? Uh, there's a mystic— Early 20th century in Portugal, uh, her name was Alexandrina Maria da Costa. Have you heard of her? Just today, thank you. Okay, <laughs> so um, she's a woman who I think was a uh, for 180 Fridays in a row experienced um, the Passion. Uh, starting, I think, generally speaking, starting around three o'clock in the afternoon, she would experience the Passion, and she would. Uh, you know, writhe on the, fl on, the on the ground and uh, just give all of these 
outward uh, exhibitions of, of or outward manifestations of, of going through the pains of the passion. And, uh, you know, people like, for example, like uh, I guess at least one time there were a couple of 200-pound guys that tried to pick her up off the floor. She weighed 88 pounds at the time. They couldn't do it. There was something very real. I heard that. Something very real going on there, something very supernatural. And so she suffered these events for 180 Fridays in a row. And then afterwards, um, she lived on the Eucharist alone for 13 years. The Eucharist alone, no food, no drink other than the Eucharist, 13 years. Physically not possible. At the time, uh, there were a lot of doubters, and her bishop consented to uh, having her being uh, subjected to a test. And she was put in a hospital for 30 days, and she was put under the watch of uh, a doctor who headed up the, the, the observation team. And he told her at the outset, I'm going to prove you're a fraud and a charlatan. And um, she was watched 24-7 by a team of people, all of whom were not believers. Uh, and uh, after 30 days, she didn't lose any weight. Uh, she wasn't, I mean, blood pressure, heart, heartbeat, all the types of things that would you know, fluctuate wildly within the first you know, couple of days. I mean, you should die in seven to 10 days if you have no nourishment. Um, so to survive 30 without having any kind of negative physical effects, it's just not medically possible. And uh, so they were not, uh, were not to be uh, defeated, so they um, wanted to put her in, and they kept her for an additional 10 days. So for 40 days, excuse me, a little biblical time period there, but for 40 days she was kept in this hospital, kept under observation, and for 40 days lived on the Eucharist alone when, in fact, anybody else would have starved. So she was a person who you could look at and say, you know, with this scientific corroboration, well, there was something special about her. And the reason I mention all this is to give some credibility to what she talks about. And she talked about sin. And uh, she said um, to offend God was the supreme evil in life. And the most resolute personal efforts must be made towards its total eliminations. Oh, sinners, she would weep. I am enduring a life of terrible suffering on your behalf. Convert yourselves. Sin no more. Sin no more. She would plead. Um, she would plead that uh, to people. As a matter of fact, she could, um, you know, during her ecstasies, uh, she could not bear to hear others pronounce the words sin and sinners, even in the Hail Mary, without shuddering violently. Um, this is a woman who, um, you know, as I say, something very, something very, you know, supernatural, something very real was happening. She understood, she understood the reality of evil and the horror of sin. And that, you know, quotation you gave us earlier about, about the Eucharist and to receive the Eucharist, you know, it should be important that, you know, you abstain or distance yourself from sin because Christ is so pure and it would offend him otherwise. Um, yeah, there is a reality to that. And it's because of that reality that even if we don't want to admit it, when we do good, we feel good because we are acting in opposition to evil, real evil. And 
That make, and whenever we oppose that and act in opposition to it, we feel good. No one can ever put a good definition of grace, but I think you just did. <laughs> um, well, um, Alexandrina did it. I mean, she and she got it. You know, she got it from the Lord. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that's what this is about. There is a real battle between good and evil, and offending God, as she said, is the supreme thing uh, that we need to avoid. And when we make these decisions and take upon the power to make these decisions about deciding questions of life or death, you know, we're acting contrary to that reality, that reality of, of God and goodness and the love of God. And, you know, to evangelize on this, I don't think you can do it other than talking about the reality of God, the reality of his love, the reality of his will for us to follow the example set by the son that he sent for us to learn from. And that's all good. He does explain how wide the road is to, you know, he does hell and how narrow the road is. So like we, I mentioned earlier, humanly it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And it's our hope here at St. Joseph Radio that we can plant or water that seed that is going to come to fruition, that is going to lead to conversion and to saving many souls. You know, people might think, well, okay, so the church has got these these teachings, these hard and fast teachings on these issues, and that in the modern day and age, well, what's wrong with, you know, you know deciding that, hey, when somebody's only suffering, only living a life of suffering, why not end it? Why not, you know, euthanasia? Why not this? Why not that? And these teachings of the church are hard. And, you know, we may think, well, boy, you know, I don't, even if, if I'm trying to be a good Catholic, I understand there's this virtue of, of this thing called obedience, that even if I don't necessarily agree with something, or even if I don't understand something, there's still a, a value and a virtue to obeying there's a lot of mysteries out there. You know, and uh, uh, one person who, who talked about, you know, the benefits of obedience was uh, St. Faustina. And, of course, you know, she was the one who wrote the diary. She's the one who had these, these revelations uh, of Christ for which we now celebrate, which formed the basis for the feast day that we now have of Divine Mercy Sunday. But um, she says... Uh, when meditating once on obedience, I heard these words. Now, you know, the diary of St. Faustina, I don't know that, it, I don't, I mean, to my knowledge, it has not been formally approved in any way as being the actual revelations from, uh, from God. But, uh, but if you believe that these diary, uh, that what's recounted in the diary is authentic, and, and I do, uh, then uh, perhaps this is, uh, this is something that uh, you might be most interested to hear. Anyway, she says, when meditating once on obedience, I heard these words. And these would be the words of Christ then. In this meditation, the priest is speaking particularly for you, he tells Faustina, knowing that I am borrowing his lips. She says, I tried to listen more, most, attentively, most attentively to everything and to apply everything to my own heart as in every meditation. When the priest said that an obedient soul was filled with the power of God. And then uh, the revelation, uh, the words of Christ continue. Yes, 
When you are obedient, I take away your weakness and replace it with my strength. I am very surprised that souls do not want to make the change with me. And isn't that true? When we stop trying to take on this power and this authority, it's freeing. We feel more powerful. You know, we, if you let Christ work through you, you find this strength that you didn't know you had. Um, there's, instead of being afraid and fearful, you're, you're now pe- at peace. And you're able to be strong because there's a conviction, and maybe you don't know where exactly it comes from, that this is right. You know, it almost sounds like you're explaining, you know, we are made in the image and likeness of God. We are, you know, human, body, whatever substance you want to call that. And then there's also the, the soul, which is spirit, love, energy. And I think that's where we get those incredible feelings that you were describing, that she was describing. It's from the soul, you know, because your body might be racked with disease at this time, but yet you're feeling utterly peaceful and, you know, at peace and, and the love, you know, and that, that's, that's coming from this part that we really can't put our finger on, you know, the soul, hmm. you know, our, our conscience and what's been imprinted on our hearts from God, you know, it's all there. So that is more powerful than the bicep is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is, isn't it? I mean, you're going to feel... Uh, you know, when you're dealing with this stuff on your own, um, uh, but you're going to feel all kinds of doubts, right? You're going you're gonna to try to convince yourself, hey, no, this is, this is right, this is right, this is right. But somewhere nagging in the background, well, maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, am I, am I right about this? Am I, you know, and uh, yeah, when you give that up, all of a sudden now, you know, you don't have to worry about these things anymore. You know, we were dealing with my own personal experience dealing with a, a situation, but I'll continue that in a moment. Sure. You're listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents, coming to you live from the Rome of the West. In studio today with Ray Gerard. my name's Mel Ogman, and we're talking about negotiating the non-negotiables. Very interesting topic that I hope everyone takes to heart. And let us plant or water that seed, my friends. Give us a call after the program and order your free copy of the CD for yourself or for a friend. We ask all you do is pay the postage, and that's 636-447-6000. Yeah, so I was talking about a situation uh, that happened uh, in our family, uh, and it involved somebody very close uh, who was on the point of death, and somebody out of compassion wanted very much to spare this person suffering uh, to the point where um, there was, there was uh, a desire to even deprive the person of food and drink, to hasten the death, to shorten the pain and the suffering. And as it turned out, in the end, that was not done. And uh, there, was, there was an internal debate within the family about this. Um, and uh, it, the decision was made that, no, we can't do that. And I think the reason that that one, that the people who were espousing that point of view, that, you know, we can't do that, 
is because I had this conviction that came from the knowledge that, you know, this wasn't our decision to make. This was, and you just leave this, you know, we're going to leave this in the hands of God. Uh, whether this person, and, and why should you be able to decide that this person shouldn't undergo suffering at the end of their life? I mean, they talk about, you know, the death pangs, the deathbed suffering and so forth. Why shouldn't somebody undergo that? Why wouldn't it be that, you know, the suffering that you have in this life can maybe take up 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times the amount of suffering you might have to undergo in purgatory or elsewhere, that the chance to do that here in this world might help purify you uh, in a way that is pleasing to God? Why? You know, I mean, Christ suffered. Christ suffered. Terribly. Yeah. I mean, how is it that do we deny suffering? To somebody, maybe that suffering's a blessing, and so, you know, there was there was an easiness about saying, "No, let's leave this in the hands of God." There's a, and I think that's what Faustina was talking about. There's a power in that that comes from Him that makes that kind of choice, um, well, not easy, but certainly easier. You I know. believe this is. I think all about obedience. As we're we're trying to go through these non-negotiables, we have to be obedient to Mother Church because of either reasons we understand or do not understand. It is not our call. And when you do that, and and to go back to that little personal example, so it became easier for people to say that, no, what we should do is leave that in God's hands. And then it almost became an unassailable argument. The people who had the other point of view um, couldn't really argue with that, right? Because there's, there's a power in that. And so, because, because why? Well, because it comes from Christ. There's a reality behind it. Um, you know, and, and when you do that, when you put things into the hand of Christ, when you surrender to him, you know, there's, uh, there's a peace and there's a love and there's a joy. You know, Padre Pio uh, is, is a saint, one of the saints I, you know, I love, and I love reading you know, things that he, he thought and he wrote. Um, and he talks about the fact that he knew very well that I have never had anything that could have drawn out or drawn our most sweet Jesus' attention. Not, I never had anything that could have drawn out our most sweet Jesus' attention. His goodness alone has filled my soul with so many good things. He hardly ever leaves me. He follows me everywhere. He revives my life, which had been poisoned by sin. Padre Pio talking about being poisoned by sin. Oh boy, am I in trouble. Uh, He clears from me the dense clouds which had covered my soul on account of sin. Um, During the night, on closing my eyes, I see the veil which covers paradise lower itself down. And made joyful by this vision, I sleep with a smile of sweet beatitude on my lips in a perfect calm. This is what you can feel when you allow yourself to get close to God. Amen, brother. And when you talked about who knows what's suffering, you know, we, I had a thing this morning in our men's group, and it was actually on redemptive suffering. And wow, how impactful that was. You know, this poor guy was talking about the death of his 10-year-old. You know, oh, he, had, wow. he had five kids and how they approached it. And just it was it was 
like I said, it was through obedience that they all came out on the other side loving and evangelizing. That is a tough, Oh, my tough. goodness. So I had this thought that when I was sick back in 04, when I was crying out to God, you know, why, why? You know, I'm in the hospital for three months, you know, being fed by a tube and it ran a fever and they thought I was going to die and I told my wife to get everything in order and they threw in the towel. And they put me in an ambulance and sent me down the top docks on a Barnes Jewish. So all said and done, when I finally got out of the hospital, the first mass I was able to go to, there was the answer, the priest homily. He was talking about when he was in, whether it was a true story or not, though, it was my answer. He said when he was in the seminary, they were talking about obedience. And he said, today, here's your assignment. You were to go into town and assist a silversmith with his chores for the day. At first, he was really upset. How is this going to help me shepherd my flock? How is this going to make me a good priest? Through obedience, he went, introduced himself, and the guy was like standing there with a crucible over the fire. He goes, yeah, hold this. You can help. And he's holding it. He goes, not that low. It'll burn up. And he, all right, that, that's perfect. And he walked away from him. Well, this goes on for about 15 minutes. He starts supporting his arm, you know, and he's like starting to feel the pains. And he looks over his shoulder. He goes, hey, how long do I got to keep doing this? And the guy looked over his shoulder and told him, until you can see yourself in it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, here I am made in the image of likeness of God. And until all those impurities were burned out, I was yeah. held over that fire. Right, right, right. And I came out on the other side, you know, saved yeah. my life, saved my marriage. Yeah, wow. God wow. is good. God is good. All the time. God is good. Um, yeah, uh, you know, being made pure, you know, through suffering. Um, it's all good, um, you know. This 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 virtue of of obedience. Uh, I mentioned the, you know, I quoted Padre Pio uh, as he was talking about joy, and uh, how is it that he comes to feel that? Well, of course, he had a lot of suffering that he underwent as well. I mean, my goodness, you have the stigmata for fifty years, not to mention so many other things. But, uh, um, how is it that he can feel such joy? How can he describe this joy? Well. He did also. Oh my goodness! Are we running up? We're running up. We're running out of time. So how did he feel the joy? Oh well, he he well he did. Uh, one of my favorite stories about Padre Pio involves uh, tremendous obedience. Uh, so he believed in that. Uh, he followed that. That's how he was able to, you know. I mean, you know, doing the will of God. That's how he obviously could feel such joy. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it is our wish for you that you may experience this peace that only Jesus Christ can provide through his church by not going against the five non-negotiables. Please educate yourselves. Read up on it. Find. Study. It is up to you, and this is all happening on our watch, folks. Call for a free copy, 636-447-6000. This is St. Joseph Radio Presents. You've been listening to St. Joseph Radio Presents from the Rome of the West, St. Louis, Missouri. If you would like to join us in our evangelization efforts, you can order a copy of today's broadcast or any of our past programs by visiting us on our website, stjosephradio.net. That's S-A-I-N-T, josephradio.net. Or call us, 636-447-6000. It's all at your fingertips to help us evangelize the world, bringing the good news of Christ. 
Christ to everyone you meet and change one soul at a time. Thank you for your prayers and support. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. This has been a presentation of St. Joseph Radio Presents. Thank you.